it got to the point that Caitlin McGrath for The Athletic wrote an article about Robbie Ray and Taiwan Walker grunting because it was so loud. Destroying in the summer camp, like he's taking hitting home runs off Tanner Rourke before everyone knew how easy that was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, he underwhelmed me. He under-underwhelmed me. The underwater under yeah okay what was your underwhelming player then and welcome to artificial turf wars episode number 186 where we haven't figured out how to make our season wrap only 37 percent as long as our regular season wrap i am your host greg wisniewski and i am joined by joshua Housem. josh how's it going it's going good and of course for the season wrap-up nick dyke nick Hey, hey, there he is out in uh, Hamilton, I'll assume. Just completely random. Oh, yeah. Yes. Exclusively Hamilton these days. <laughs> there. He's no longer allowed to leave Hamilton. Sorry. I hope you like it there. Gentlemen, uh, an entire season has come and gone, although it was only 60 games long. Um, so that's weird. But we're going to get through all of our regular categories and our regular listener categories um, that, that you've come up with, hopefully, um, in an entertaining and introspective manner, because what we need is more introspection when it comes to the Blue Jays. First off, though, we had questions of the uh, non-season uh, award uh, category. So in that light, I'm going to play the question stinger. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Josh, you actually check our email address, which I respect you for deeply because I forget we have one. <laughs> no, it forwards to my regular one. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. So I'm, I just haven't That's set that up. That's why you haven't been, been getting uh, the emails to my potlucks, Greg. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm... A potluck in this day and age, Nick. Possibly the most hazardous gathering of all time. Um, okay, uh, what was the email question, Josh? So this came from Dick O'Cuff, one of our patrons, who's been on the podcast once, I believe. Hi, guys. It's been a while. Hope you and your families are doing well. All good here. My family good is here. doing well. Thank you. Yep. So here's Same. the question. What was the story with the ball this season? I feel like this, like last season, home runs and the new ball was a topic I was hearing about all the time. And this season nothing maybe i just wasn't paying attention so please update me was this year's ball the same as last year's ball i forgot to look this up so (laughs) i did uh there was some work done it by rob mains who works for baseball prospectus now and basically this ball is closer to the 2018 ball uh, it's actually has even a little more drag than the 2018 ball so it's not the super fun happy balls of last year <laughs> which is a weird thing to say on a podcast um <laughs> <laughs> a baseball podcast but, no less <laughs> interestingly though i think the home run per nine rate was actually much closer to last year than the previous three years yeah so like the the drag and the flight was different but some conditions maybe it was just like the pictures being pitchers being taxed it was more pitchers on the roster so you get worse guys i don't know the home run rate was actually still right up there so they still can't prevent home runs but now we're not going to exclusively blame the ball thank you for your question yeah. uh <laughs> it 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 we had an answer and it didn't actually clear anything up that's pretty much par for the course around here 
<laughs> our other question was from our longtime patron, Colleen Evans, uh, at Colleen Evans 6. If you'd like to follow her, she asked after uh, Aaron Sanchez, who um, Tim Brown at Yahoo Sports did note had uh, following uh, had shoulder surgery and missed this season, is a free agent, threw for a bunch of teams in Miami. So she asked, should the Jays take a flyer on Aaron Sanchez? He is 28 years old. Uh, Josh? So, Nick, you go first. I answered Colleen privately, but so you can give her the first. Yeah. This this is definitely one of those things I think we're going to say the exact same thing on, which is if the price is right, um, which in this case, you know, I guess would be something along the lines of a minor league invite to spring training or, you know, not a, a big guaranteed money deal. Um, yeah, I think it's worth taking a chance on, see what he has. You know, I wouldn't go so far as to kind of pencil him in as your eighth inning guy or your fifth starter. But um, yeah, at the right price, uh, why not? He, he did have success here uh, working with Pete Walker was the pitching coach when he won his 15 games. Am I right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, uh, it's pretty much the same idea. I, I think, um, you know, in a, in a pr- ideal situation, you're, you're looking at the Brandon Morrow uh, path to redemption. I think, I don't think you'll ever see Aaron Sanchez as a starting pitcher. Um, I just don't, I don't think he's ever coming back to that just based on all of the problems and, and surgery he's had, but it would be crazy to see him as a, a high leverage reliever somewhere. And why not with the Blue Jays? I agree, but certainly not on a major league contract because he's such a big question mark. So those were the questions. Again, we thank you all year for your questions. Um, they make our brains work better, which, uh, I mean, that's important, isn't it? Um, but more more hype is coming because we have all kinds of awards to hand out. Uh, no hardware, really. It's not even virtual hardware, but we certainly have categories. Uh, we would start off with our very first category. If I'm at the top of the document. Yes, I am. With player, we most enjoyed watching. Uh, now... Just because someone has put a vote in our little uh, our, our little um, list here doesn't necessarily mean we're 100% sold on on that player. I think we can all be talked in or out of what player we most enjoyed watching. Um, but first, I will go to you, Nick. Who did you most enjoy watching? Uh, I put down Kevin Biggio. Uh, he's just been such like a nice, refreshing change from kind of what seems like it's been the Jays' uh, platonic form of hitter in the last four or five (laughs) years which has been a guy who hits the ball really hard um has you know has has some problems with swing and miss doesn't walk ever uh watching Kevin Biggio to me was so enjoyable because he always just had such competitive at bats and that's something that I think was missing from a lot of the teams between you know 2017 and 2020 so yeah he's he's my vote I, yeah, I, not bad. I mean, he didn't yeah. have competitive at-bats when he's facing guys throwing 97 or 98, but a lot of guys didn't yeah. either. And I, I think watching a guy really try and get on base um, as opposed to really try and hit a home run every time is, yeah, it's refreshing, especially uh, with, with the Jays without that prototypical leadoff hitter for quite a while. So, yeah, I, I understand that. I did not vote for Kevin Biggio here. Um, my thought was with uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I, I took the enjoyed part Sort of literally, uh, he plays the game with a lot of a lot of joy. His crazy hair, his um, his sort of genuine genuine enthusiasm in the dugout, um, his 
uh, I, I won't call it. I, he kind of walks the line between amazing and questionable in the outfield. Uh, but <laughs> but when he's doing things right in the outfield, it's also a lot of fun because teams do you know challenge him more than some of the other outfielders, and he does make them pay for that. So yeah, Gurriel Jr. for me. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's a lot of fun. Josh. Yeah, so to the surprise of everyone listening, I'm sure I the picture. <laughs> uh, it's Ryu, and and the reason why people have been sort of paying attention to the kind of stuff that I look at and really get a kick out of it's pitch sequencing is my, kind of my jam. I just love it. And watching a guy like Ryu operate, who throws five pitches, none of them over thirty percent of the time, and watching him just carve up with precision, throwing. 88 to 90, but just in, out, in, out, up, down, slow, and just making these great hitters look so foolish. I just I just got such a kick out of that. And you know, rightly so. Yeah, ahead, I was going to say, speaking of things that you didn't really see uh, on the Blue Jays for the last few years was somebody with Ryu's control. And yeah. it, was, it was pretty nice watching watching a guy who, again, could just command the strike zone. I remember The first start of his that I watched, <laughs> I remember thinking, this is like like a video game, you know, they've got the, the strike zone overlay on the broadcast and he just literally is painting the corners. And and like Josh said, you know, high, high inside corner, low outside corner. It's, it's, it really is impressive to watch. And it's funny though, cause he, when he first started the season, he struggled his first few starts Well, struggled a bit, but he walked three guys in two of them. And it's like, Oh my God, he caught like the blue Jays <laughs> disease. And then he didn't walk three guys again for the rest of the season. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, player we least enjoyed watching. Um, I mean, go ahead, Nick. I, I don't think there's there, there's some pretty unenjoyable pitchers. I think more than anything else. But which which of them did you choose? Well, I said Roark, um, just because as a fan, it's kind of frustrating to to watch the game, see a guy get lit up, and then watch you know the post game coverage. And he's telling you, oh, no, I'm fine. I just need to be left in longer. And then you leave him in longer, and he gets (laughs) hit again. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, and also it's like, he's not enjoyable to watch. It's like, you could watch, you know, a guy like, say Nate Pearson was just horrible, which, thank God he wasn't. But, like, the stuff is so electric that watching it would still be interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Tanner Rourke is like 92 mile an hour fastball, a mediocre slider, a mediocre changeup. And it's not like Ryu where he's painting and changing speeds and all that. He's just throwing it and it's just getting rocked. And it's like, this is just, I, I don't want to see this. It's not entertaining. Um, I voted for Wilmer Font. Um, I don't know. It, it it seemed like Wilmer Font could have was something, you know, in a previous life. And then they brought him back out here and there was just nothing there this year. He was not by any stretch of imagination, the Blue Jays worst player by any particular metric, but he did everything poorly. <laughs> and he, he still <laughs> managed sure into 21 games. <laughs> That's the part is like, oh, my God, you played a third of the games that this team played and you were just bad at everything stop i'm sure he just survived as long as he did because other people kept getting injured because there was no way otherwise <laughs> his, um, his 9.92 era um yeah, he only left 54 percent of his runners on base wow uh yeah that's really really that's bad, bad 
Yeah, yeah. it's bad luck, but it's also it was really bad pitching. Um, <laughs> yeah, I picked Rourke as well. So, but yeah. God, both of them. All right, uh, a favorite moment. So I think Josh, you get to go first here. What what moment made the season uh, sh- a little shinier, a little brighter for you? So surprisingly, like I picked. The Jays didn't go crazy at the deadline this year, but I picked their moves at the deadline or before the deadline included because the Jays were in a situation where they basically, even going into that point, they were going to make the postseason. And they could have just been like, well, we're not going to, we're just going to save our pieces for the future and we're just going to like let the chips fall where they may in the postseason, which turns out probably would have been the better strategy. (laughs) (laughs) But. They went out and got the best pitcher on the market in Taiwan Walker, a couple good useful pieces in VR, Ray, Stripling, and just tried to really bolster it to try to make a run. And I just really enjoyed seeing that kind of support from the front office, even in this weirdo season. I think you could see that the front office made a calculation, and the calculation wasn't strictly how much is our payroll this year. The, The calculation was, is there a way to maximize the number of games we can win to try and get us comfortably into the playoffs, to maybe get us a better matchup in the playoffs in the first round. Can we can we do that without selling the farm? And it was nice to know that they're thinking in terms of, of that calculation, not just, well, if we don't afford this, do we have to, you know, is it even worth doing anything at all? It's like, well, it's always worth doing something if you're if you're in, in win mode for the long run. Yeah. Uh, your favorite moment, Nick? Yeah, kind of just building off that, the the Blue Jays making the playoffs. I think, you know, watching a young team for the last couple of years, it was really kind of exciting and, you know, gave me a lot of hope and promise for the future to see them finish over 500. And in 2020, that meant the eighth, or sorry, the seventh playoff spot. So, um, yeah, it, it was exciting. And, you know, it made me really kind of excited about where this team can go. You know, if you get a full season from Nate Pearson, if a couple guys maintain the gains they made this year, uh, you know, it's 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 an exciting future. Um, I had a favorite moment. It was a little smaller than your guys. The Jays called up a catcher who they said could hit, and then he hit. Um, that seems to huh. be a really tough thing for the Blue Jays to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that may all come crashing down next year, but, I, you know, I like that the prediction of this guy's going to come up and do X was actually true for once. Because I think we've had a lot of, he's going to come up and he can throw strikes or and those predictions. And, and it's just, you're like, is this a different guy? Did he did someone swap places on the bus or something with the guy who you actually tried to call up? Mm-hmm. But uh, Alejandro Kirk... Definitely came as advertised for the uh, couple of weeks he was here. Now, we move from a favorite moment to, I think, one of the one of the more uh, difficult to pin down things is the most surreal moment. And that's a, you know, when we get every season, I think we come up with a category like this. But certainly in a season that was only 60 games long, it's going to be tough to pick one moment <laughs> out. So, Josh, I'll let you grab your most surreal moment. Yeah, so for me, it was, I guess it was the third game of the season when the Jays went to extra innings against the Rays. And there was a guy standing on second base when the inning started. It was just like, oh, wow, like this is like not regular baseball. And it just really hit me seeing that. Like, even though they were playing in front of empty stadium and with no fans and the Jays were starting off in the wrong fields and all that stuff, 
just seeing something that was not what I view as baseball happen on the baseball field was that that hit me. And then they, you know, immediately lost because of it. So, you know, great. So I I would take a similar, you know, moment related to that, which which would be the fake cheering piped into the trop. The idea that like I get that you don't want silent games, and I understand that, but on the flip side it was like like the canned laughter of everything was was very strange to think of that just was was perfectly okay to do and then that it was louder and more consistent than the regular cheering at the trop because there's never enough people in there that those two things combined so that that's my my surreal moment just to launch the season there certainly were others but th- that's the top of the list for me nick uh it's funny you mentioned the loudness of the cheering because for me what was surreal was hearing some of the things that you wouldn't hear in a normal season because there was nobody there. You know, the biggest example for a Blue Jays fan would be uh, Robbie Ray grunting every time he threw the baseball. Um, (laughs) Because however they were kind of mixing the the fake sound with whatever was happening on the field, I mean, it was was like listening to a tennis match, Um, like hearing, hearing him grunt every time he pitched. And to me, that was just like a constant reminder that he literally they were playing in this huge cavernous empty spot, you know, and uh, yeah, that's baseball in 2020. Very I surreal. Mean, it got to the point that Caitlin McGrath for the athletic wrote an article about Robbie Ray and Taiwan Walker grunting because it was <laughs> so loud. Um, on the flip yeah. side of, of that, you know, things you wouldn't normally hear. There was a bunch of times when microphones caught chat from the dugout and profanity that would oh, never, yeah. ever, ever have come across before. So I think absolutely that, that whole category of the sound is not the sound you're supposed to be hearing it does uh does raise some eyebrows about 2020 and and what also what we didn't necessarily knew went to between dugouts and between players a hundred percent um that has come to the fore so yeah it's pretty weird stuff um surprises surprises can be good or bad so nick what is what is your biggest surprise and is it a good or a bad one yeah, I interpreted it as a positive thing, and I went with Ryan Baraki kind of emerging as a really solid reliever. Um, and, you know, not just emerging as a solid reliever, but emerging as someone, you know, he looked like a different guy. He had lost weight. He was throwing much harder. Um, he was like a new player. And so that's obviously surprising because we were used to a guy who was throwing, you know, low 90s, more in like the Mark Burley mode at the back of a rotation. <laughs> and... uh and yeah, now, right, he's like a guy throwing gas um, out of the bullpen. So to me, that was the biggest surprise. And he somehow lost the ability to throw strikes with it, which is a bit weird. Like he walked 12 guys in 16 innings and he was a command guy coming up. Yeah. So I actually think that as he gets more comfortable with this role, he could be just dynamite as he stops walking people. He also struck out the fourth highest. Well, if you don't include Travis Bergen. Uh, yeah. Fourth highest rate of guys on the Jays which I don't know if anybody would pick Ryan Barucki as a strikeout pitcher previously. Yeah. And you don't include Travis Bergen. <laughs> no. Or Ken Giles, really. Well, yeah. So he's third highest of anybody who had any time. Yeah. He no, he's out, great. He struck out more printing than Julian Merriweather, who throws gas. <laughs> so who yep. knows? All right. Your biggest surprise, Josh. Uh, it's, I mean, so I take this a little more on the, you know, the macro sense that the guy that they got through the season with like the only two teams that didn't play 60 games were the Cardinals and the Tigers. 
And if they needed to, they were going to play a doubleheader on the Monday to get them in. It wasn't like, I thought there might be like, you know, like the Marlins might play 51 games or something like that. And it didn't happen. So I'm surprised that they were able to pull it off, essentially. I, I am surprised by that too, especially because of the size of the outbreak on the Marlins. That it was basically half the Marlins roster got churned. And I was just thinking, oh my goodness, or this is a disaster about to get piled on a disaster. And then suddenly it wasn't. Um, yeah. But my big, my biggest surprise was that Ken Giles may have thrown his last pitch as a Blue Jay. And it's not the end of the world for the Blue Jays bullpen. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm like, my brain's kind of like, what? Uh, at the beginning <laughs> of the season, you said, oh, they're going to lose Ken Giles. I'd be like, wow, geez, man. What are you going to do? Oh, you're just going to you're going to hope Jordan Romano is healthy next season or you're going to uh, get another year out of Rafael Dolis or you're going to see if Julian or Merriweather Baraki. or Ryan Baraki. <laughs> you're just going to pick a guy and you're going to you're going to let him close. It's like, really? Oh, OK. Uh, what do I know about baseball? Yeah. <sighs> Clutch performer of the year. I will let Nick take this one first. I'm just going to go with uh, Teoscar Hernandez. He came up with a lot of big hits for the Jays uh, over the course of the season. And um, yeah, you know, without them, I think they're, you know, not the same, not the same team. And, you know, I don't know if they make the playoffs without Teoscar. I don't think they do. No, he's, he's a big, big bat. Um, Clutch is a different, I mean, we've talked about how clutch is, is it a skill? Maybe it's not a skill, but but clutch comes up a lot. I think specifically focusing on that word, I would say Rafael Dolis because in a role he was not expecting to be in at the beginning of the season, um, immediately when he started getting called upon to close out games, although he does it in the Rafael Dolis, I don't know where the ball is going style, um, he kept getting the job done. So I think for me, that that's the clutch aspect for, for Rafael. Josh? Yeah, I also yeah, I also picked Elise, uh for the same similar reasons. And so Giles went down, and then Romano went down, and Bass started to, you know, turn back in Anthony Bass, which is a good but not great reliever. And you know, they needed someone to step up, especially as those guys got tired in September. And from August 15th until the end of the season, Rafael Delise took the ball 16 times, threw 16 and a third, and gave up zero earned runs. He gave up two extra inning base runners. Actually, I think it was only one. And there were two runs of score because of errors with 24 strikeouts in that time. I mean, he was excruciating to watch because, as you said, he was wild and he takes forever to throw the ball. <laughs> but he was he just became a lockdown reliever when they really, really needed it. Yeah, and that, I think, is clutch. Not that I'm discounting Teoscar's no, contribution here. Um, but yeah. Think, uh, yeah. If you're going with a hitter, I think it's Teoscar. Or actually, surprisingly, Gritchick was really good late in games. But but if it's a pitcher, I think it's Dolis. Uh Biggest breakout. Um, th- this, I think there's probably a few nominees for that. So I would start by saying, for me, Nate Pearson. Uh, coming from uh, the minor leagues without many innings, getting in the starting rotation. Now, he got hurt. But the, the fact that he was he was making starts at the major league level, and then we saw him in the playoffs return from injury with apparently very few ill effects from the one inning we saw that, you know, the velocity is certainly still there. Um, I think that's that's a big, big thing for the Blue Jays in terms of the number 
uh, of people counting on him in the next couple of years. But not everyone might agree with me. Josh, do you, or, sorry, uh, Nick, do you have a pick for biggest breakout? Uh, no, because I think with such a short season, it's it's going to be very easy to put too much stock into into this such like a small sample. But I think if if you were to be excited about someone, Greg, I do think Pearson is a great pick because you know he does have a pedigree to see him be able to you know do it on the major league stage. Uh, I think that bodes well. And when you pair his performance this year with, again, all the stuff that came before it, to me, I can get a little more excited about that than, you know, someone who kind of came out of nowhere to have a a great 20 innings out of the bullpen or a great, you know, uh, 60 game stretch at the plate. Well, here comes my guy who yes. played 14 innings out of the bullpen. <laughs> 14? Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah, because he got, in, he got injured. But, sorry, one second. I had to clear my throat there. Um, for me, it's Romano. And because it's not just the performance. It was the stuff. It's like, you know, last year when he came up, at the beginning, he was tossing 98 to 100. And he looked great. And it, but his slider was a little iffy, and then he just sort of lost it a little bit because he, you know, he trained as a starter. This year, he just knew he was going to be a reliever, and then he came out humping 98-99 with a wipeout slider in the upper 80s, and he looked every bit the part of a dominant reliever. Even if the numbers hadn't been there, which they obviously were, the stuff would have been enough for me to call it a breakup because he just looked unhittable. Indeed. If if I can, if I can take a little bit of a W on uh, Jordan Romano, um, the last couple of years I've helped out at Fangraphs with the player profiles, and uh, if anybody wants to go check a look at his uh, 2020 player profile, <laughs> they might they might find someone suggesting he could be a high leverage reliever in the Blue Jays bullpen. All if, right, you gotta you gotta when I when I tweet this out this podcast tomorrow, we'll attach that link. <laughs> I, I I throw in all the caveats, you know, like no, 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 stop, 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 stop. Yeah. Take stop. the W. <laughs> yeah, take oh, yeah, the W. Yeah. And Josh will put a little footnote that says um, we like yeah. to highlight the very few times that Nick is absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm horrible. Um, biggest disappointment, not me. No, uh, my my biggest disappointment uh, would have to be Travis Shaw. I'm uh, I I thought that they signed him to fill in ably at third base, put up some half decent numbers like he's been known to do and uh you know and and spell uh some younger players who who wouldn't necessarily be comfortable over there. And what we got what what was his woba in the end? So uh, let me keep scrolling down. Oh, here we are. Right above Danny Jansen's weighted on base average uh of 300 was Travis Shaw at 310. Like 239, 306, 411 for a corner infielder. That was sad. I'm disappointed. Any any disappointment from you, Josh? Well, you can go first, Nick. Yeah, well, I, I agree with Greg. Um, you know, Shaw was a guy who had back-to-back 30 homer seasons in 2017, 2018. You know, he's a guy who was good at getting on base. He wasn't a defensive liability. Yeah, I mean, there was, when the year started, there was kind of, you know, an opportunity to dream on getting that guy back, a third baseman who could hit 30 homers with a 350 on base. And, you know, it was not, he was not that or any, anything close to it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm with Greg. Yeah. I mean, 
that 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 was actually my first thought when we when we were writing our categories down. But I went in another direction. I went with Wilmer Font because the people remember when Wilmer Font came over last year, he struck out fifty three guys in thirty nine innings for the Jays last year. And he'd been a bit of a strikeout artist for the past few years, even as he sort of bounced around. And going into the season when it looked like you know, before COVID happened, where where it looked like Barucky was going to be in the minors, Hatch would be in the minors, the starting pitchers. It looked like Wilmer Font was probably the eighth inning guy leading to Ken Giles. So I had really high hopes for him. And then he was just awful. Didn't strike anybody out, got hit all over the park, and he couldn't throw strikes. So uh, just just completely dis- disappointed, in my opinion. Indeed. Now, the sad category, before we move on to what the <laughs> listeners had to say. Rock bottom. Every team has a rock bottom uh, at some point during its season. Even even the, you know, championship teams of yesteryear had a rock bottom. Um, I could still remember the big losses in, I think it was 92 against, or was it 93, against the Milwaukee Brewers late in the season, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But for for what rock bottom uh, did the Jays hit this year? Nick, your feeling? For me, it was the Hunter Renfro Grand Slam against the Rays in the playoffs. Um, you know, I was kind of earlier when we were talking, and I was kind of maligning the Jays having all these like big power, low contact guys. To see one of those guys just <laughs> kill them like that, <laughs> I mean, it was like an extra bit of salt in the wound. You know, it, it's like if if the Rays had their best pitcher on the mound and like Randall Gritchick hit a grand slam off off Tyler Glass now or Snell or something like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just the like so. I'll, I'll follow up, but like it says a lot about the way the season went that the rock bottom choices were getting knocked out of the playoffs or mine, which is the first series of the season. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going with that game three that I mentioned before where they lost an extra innings and because they had a three run lead with two strikes and nobody on base. And then Ken Giles broke. And yeah. then they blew the game when. Uh, Brian Moran didn't cover first because Vlad went to play second base to field the ball. And then they, then Yamaguchi made his debut, debut, couldn't throw strikes and give a triple. It was just like, oh my God, like Giles got hurt and this all happened. Like, And then it really got better. So like it's, they, never, they never really got bad again. Oh, they did have an honorable mention to when they allowed 43 runs in three games to the Yankees. <laughs> yeah, I feel and like really- almost at that point though, because they had a record that put them in fairly good shape playoffs wise and everything that it, it was like, that was a stuff happens series, not That's a why it was honorable mention. Yeah. Like it's not really a rock bottom. Yeah. It's interesting though, that in any other season uh, where they gave up 43 runs in three games, for sure, that would have been the rock bottom. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, uh, my pick like you, Josh was the first week. Um, they couldn't score any runs in the first week. Uh, the defense was confused. The base running wasn't great. Like nothing went right the first week out of the gate. And it was like, did you guys know that the, that little spring summer camp thing was over or do we need to (laughs) let you, (laughs) do we need to give you a day or something? Um, I think so. Yeah, it got better as the season went on. A lot of players came around, even with injuries, there were guys who filled in. And then by the time we get to the playoffs, I get your disappointment, Nick, but to me, the playoffs here are the gravy. I really was not expecting the Blue Jays to make a run all the way to the World Series with this team, right? So, yes, it's oh. disappointing to only play two games, and, and that was not what you want um, Hyunjin Ryu to come up with. However, um, that's just 
that's sort of par for the course when you're kind of the number. I think they were the number eight seed. It was five or eight, wasn't it? Yeah. Eight. So yeah, when were. you're when you're the eighth playoff seed, hey, if you make it through that first round, you've actually accomplished something fantastic. So, yeah. But uh, I mean, it's glad that, that we didn't have a big argument about seven different low points for the Blue Jays. <laughs> <laughs> so the listeners, we we asked for you there thoughts and categories of things that we wanted that they wanted to know for us so the mo the first one from ellie yelly hart uh who has asked lots of questions and, and contributed a lot to the podcast this year uh wants to know our most promising moment or storyline and our most depressing moment or storyline so uh i guess josh i'm gonna let you go first on this one okay so for the most promising i went with storylines for both of them as opposed to moments and for the storylines, I did Alejandro Kirk's ascent to the big league roster because, you know, it started all the way back in the real spring training. He sort of became this sensation because, you know, the prospect followers had an idea of him. But then, you know, this guy who looks the way he looks, <laughs> just raking in, you know, his few chances in spring and then destroying in the summer camp. Like he's taking hitting home runs off Tanner Rourke before everyone knew how easy that was. <laughs> 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 how to get that dig in. Um you know, and then, you know, with the catching struggles and people wanting him to come up, but it's like, no, he's on the taxi squad just to learn. And then, no, he's added, and then he raked. And it was, it was just a cool thing to follow all the way through. And for depressing storyline, I went with the constant base running and fielding issues that just plagued the team all year. You know, like the constant listing of the Jays have now made 26 outs on the bases without including caught stealings, and <laughs> just leading the league by eight or something like that. And then, you know, the two errors in the final postseason game because the defense never really got fixed. So those were not really great storylines to follow. So I'm going to go chime in here and I'm going to take the reverse because I want to finish on a high note. But both of my moments come from the same game because I'm not very creative. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu with the letdown start in game two of the playoffs. I think for me, that was such a disappointment. And I know it happens, but it, it was just like... You want to be on the edge of your seat at the very least. And every game pretty much without exception had been close against the Rays in the season. So it was a real gut punch to have Ryu come in and uh, unfortunately have seven runs on the board before anybody knew what happened, knowing that the Blue Jays were not likely to score seven runs. So that was disappointing. On the flip side, the same game, Nate Pearson comes back and throws an absolutely aces inning against uh against tampa and looks every part of the major league pitcher we want him to be so it was kind of like hey he's back he's resurrected not right now but maybe next year uh you should be scared of this guy so you know highs and lows in the in the same nine innings what did nick have for his uh promising and depressing moments or storylines right right for me the the most promising thing was the bullpen emerging as a strength um you know mm -hmm. it feels good as as somebody who's a fan of the team to watch the game and know that you've got a bunch of guys in in the bullpen who can come out and get out throw hard you know just do all the things that a great bullpen is is known to do and i think it kind of dovetails too with just um you know atkins and shapiro have always talked about building depth. And I feel like, you know, you really saw that in yeah. in this season with that extended bullpen. You know, a guy like Thomas Hatch and Anthony Kay being able to contribute, you know, again, the reinvention of Baraki. Um, yeah, it, I, I was really excited and I feel like that 
bodes well for the future. Merriweather. I mean, I didn't even say Merriweather. And, you know, that I remember two years ago when everyone was complaining about how that's all they got for Josh Donaldson. Yeah. So I think the bullpen is, was my, my positive one. And then um, for depressing, I'm going to, I'm going to go with just Vlad and all the storylines. I know it, it was several storylines because I know it feels like 10 years ago now, but <clears> he started the season as a third baseman <laughs> and he ended the season as a first baseman that everyone was frustrated with because he thought he might be playing second base. But um, yeah, he, I think, I think it, it is depressing because he can still be so good and it's easy to see the flaws and some of the problems, but he's younger than Nate Pearson. I think he's even younger than Alejandro Kirk. So I just, it's, it's such a bum out to, to hear all these kind of stories about his failures when in reality, he is just a kid and he's still developing and, you know, not everybody's going to be Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my, my pick for negative. No, some of them will be rolled Acuna, Acuna Jr. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the next que- uh, category here is uh, from Colleen Evans. She says, the most 2020 was a bizarre year, so do not conclude anything from how this player performed or what role they played player. Uh, or does this apply to all of 2020? Um, Josh, who, who would you like to hold the jury out on for 2020? I mean, there's a few people. So the, the, all of them was a, was a consideration, but I do think some people had, you know, I believed in the performance a bit, so I'm not going to do that. Danny Jansen, uh, we saw him be really good for a couple stretches and really horrible for a lot longer in it. And I just think that as a catcher, especially dealing with this season and all the crazy number of pitchers you have to handle in your head. You know, the Jays had 16-man pitching staffs at one point, which is, you know, you only have 28 men on your roster. <laughs> um, you know, like, that's got to be really hard. And I, I just think he needs a bit more time. And we shouldn't just assume that he's this bad version of himself. Yeah, and it is weird because Danny Jensen still walks more than anybody except Derek Fisher and Kevin Biggio on this team. So it's not like he doesn't know his strike zone he's not simply flailing about swinging at everything and nothing's happening um so there's there's probably a fix in there to get him back to what he did in the minor leagues uh my don't believe your eyes is uh rowdy tell us um because i just don't know what to believe with him anymore because he's been middling at best and then this season he comes up and all of a sudden he's getting on base and, you know, he's he's hitting for a better average and everything seemed to come together. And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's only 127 plate appearances. So precisely what she, what they said, it's 2020. I don't know. Nick. Yeah, uh, I think first off, you're totally right, Greg. It's it's too small of a, a sample to really, really believe in anything. But. I do agree with Josh. I think, you know, Danny Jansen, he's still young. He's still 25. I mean, he was another guy. He was a top 50 prospect on a lot of the, you know, league-wide prospect lists. His BABIP was under 200. And I know BABIP isn't absolutely everything, but I mean, he definitely got a little bit unlucky. Um, yeah, I just think uh, it's way too early to to give up on on a guy with that kind of pedigree. And has, again, he already has great on-base skills. I think he could show a lot more next year. 
All right, now we have a shout out uh, from uh, Abbas at AbbasSaleen.com. He wants to know Bonafide or Bonifacio? Uh, now, if I am correct, Josh, this is uh, a bona fide is a player who had a genuine breakout and or contribution. And a Bonifacio is someone who seemed to have the makings of a new contribution or breakout, but in fact turned out to be the same old guy we knew all along. Am or I, we I... think that they are the same old guy <laughs> okay. that they yeah. were all along, right? Which is um, a Bonifacio, who always seemed well, on the verge of turning something magical and it, and it never panned out <laughs> by the end of the year. So... Yeah. I will start. Uh, my bona fide is Teoscar Hernandez. We have now seen this for uh, you know the, all of pretty much last season and and this like all of 2019 and and basically 2020 was a fairly uninterrupted, successful, productive clutch bat with lots and lots of power. Who happens to strike out more than you'd like? Uh, that's bona fide. I that's a hundred percent the guy I want in the middle of my lineup, and I can live with his flaw with all the things he does. My Bonifacio is Randall Grichuk, who seemed like he'd made an adjustment in the first couple of weeks and then ended up pretty much being Randall Grichuk by the end of the year. Especially if you look at his September, which was abysmal. Uh, I I feel like as long as Randall Grichuk is on the Blue Jays, we're going to have this conversation where we're, (laughs) we're like a week into a hot streak and we're, we're contemplating his breakout. It's literally happened for the last three years. <laughs> That's why I picked it's him. It's going to happen. Oh, man. Uh, so next year it'll be great, great check or great check. Um, <laughs> Go ahead, Nick. <laughs> yeah, no, for me, Gritchick's the Bonifacio pick. And for Bonafide, um, I'm going to go with uh, Lourdes Gurriel. I think there's a lot of guys kind of in in kind of that that bucket with the Blue Jays, whether, you know, Tellez is kind of, I think, similar, um, where, because Gurriel has struggled before, too, for, for long stretches. But, um, yeah, you, you see how hard he hits the ball. You see, like, you know, kind of his natural athleticism. And it's uh, it looks like he can be a pretty good hitter, even if he's, you know, someone who is going to not take a walk as often as he should and, you know, you know, for not taking a zone. walk, he got on base 34.8% of the time. I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I also give my bona fide to Lourdes as well, because if you go back to when he came back up from the minors in 2018, after being sent down, he hit 305, 335, 480 for an 815 OPS the rest of the season. Last year, he hit 277, 327, 541. 869 this year 308 348 534 882 that's three very good offensive seasons basically since he got you know called up full time ish even though he had a brief spell back in the minors but he looks his numbers just say he has been a good hitter and continued to be a good hitter this year so you know i'm with you nick i think that he looks like something uh, my bonifacio is aj cole and God, I hate that he pitched the seventh inning of that game. <laughs> when he picks him sitting right there. Um, but we talked about this last week, so I won't keep going. All right. Yeah, Base- AJ- oh, go ahead. No, just AJ Cole. Like, you know, his numbers, they look pretty good. 23 innings, 309 ERA, 20 strikeouts. Like a solid, I, you know, there's a reason that he was available in a minor league deal. And I just don't think that he should be expected to be a late inning reliever again. All right. Base running madman of the year, also from Ellie Ellie Hart. 
Um, I had Vlad Jr. I feel like that's a rock solid pick because there's always an extra base in Vlad's mind, whether it be third <laughs> or second, regardless of where the ball is. He has no idea how hard he hits the ball off the wall or how slow he is. And voila, the madman. <laughs> but but if anybody has a different one, let me know. Well, no, I concur. Okay, so you talked about he always sees that extra base. My pick wasn't always sure about keeping the base he still had, Jonathan VR. <laughs> Dude was only here for like three weeks because he you know, wasn't a full-time player. And he still got thrown on the bases like four times. His first game with the team, I think it was twice. First, he tried to stretch a single into a double. And, his, and then the next time, he got picked off third base by the catcher. And he just kept doing it. And <laughs> there's a reason the Marlins, who were contenders, got rid of him, obviously. He has value, but he also has a lot of risk. But Vlad's a good pick, too. All right. Uh, best, worst, first impressions. Um, Nick, who who made a big fir- first impression on you? Uh, I would say Taiwan Walker. Uh, you know, his first start was six dominant innings, albeit against the Orioles. But, um, yeah, it was just a, a, a great way to come in and kind of set the tone. Um, and, yeah, he's... He was a big part of, I think, the Jays, you know, being able to be playoff contenders. And I think I'd pick him. And then for uh, worst first impression, I will say Tanner Roark, who gave up, I think it was like eight or nine runs in his like second and third starts for the team against the Red Sox and Rays. And he only lasted, I think, like a combined six innings or something like that. Josh, yeah. you, I think so, you are going to concur with one of Nick's picks. Yeah, Tanner Roar. Um, <laughs> you know what's funny? Because if I took his, like, like, really literally, Tanner Roar's first start was great. He oh, yeah, five, against Washington? Yeah. He threw five shutout innings. Yeah. But then it was like, you know, he, he was the Tanner Roar we saw all year. Oh, not shutout innings. He had one run. But very quickly and <laughs> continually after that. So, yeah, I just, ugh, horrible. Best first impression with Julie Merriweather. My goodness. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, as you mentioned, uh, Nick, when you alluded to the, you know, the comments about Julie Merriweather, like the expectations, or like, he, not expectations, the pressure, like he had to be the best pitcher in the world for people to be happy considering who he was traded for. And then he came out and his first four outings, he was the best pitcher in the world. <laughs> He's trying- he struck out 12 batters in his first seven innings, and then he got hit a couple of times and went back on the injured list after that. But, I mean, my God, did he look good. Um, my best first impression was Alejandro Kirk because, I mean, coming out of nowhere and, and uh, you know, uh, ending up with how, – how long did it take him to end up with a four-hit game? Two, four three games, games in? Four <laughs> games? Like, holy cow. Um, and then my worst first impression, you alluded to it earlier, was the Shun Yamaguchi extra innings with a runner on second. Hey, I'm not going to throw any strikes anyway, so there could have been no runners on and it was going to go badly regardless. <laughs> like for, for the pedigree, Shun Yamaguchi just disappointed me on so many levels with that first uh, first outing. And I'm not saying that he was horrible the whole time, but certainly it colored my view of Shun for the rest of the year. Well, his first uh, two outings were that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the the double first impression. Didn't even redeem himself in the second go. Um, okay, most damaging injury. Which one 
made the biggest impression on the team? Uh, Josh. So I went with Jordan Romano. And the reason I said Romano was because, you know, the Jays' bullpen wore down a lot in September. And going into that postseason game, you know, the guys that they were using, like, I keep bringing it up, but like, if Jordan Romano is healthy, AJ Cole does not pitch that inning, even though he shouldn't have been anyway. But <laughs> he's not even not even a consideration because it would be Bass or Pier- or Dolis because Romano's in the ninth inning or Romano at that point, right? You have your key guys coming in, so you know, and he wasn't back. That's that's the reason. For so like, I I would have gone with Nate Pearson, but he was back, and they and the starters were you know the non reused starters were fantastic. So. Yeah, Romano hurt them the most, I think, in the postseason. Um, I'm going to say Ken Giles for almost the same reason, in the sense that they had reorganized the bullpen by that point. But you were, you know, a healthy Ken Giles throughout the season, even moderately healthy, even if he's not the closer for some reason, that he's not 100% himself, would have would have just bolstered that bullpen from so many different angles. Um, I think it really did hurt the Blue Jays. In the long run, does it hurt the Blue Jays? I don't think so. But in, in that sense, I think, yeah. Um, I think it's uh, uh, the biggest issue that the Blue Jays had. Nick, who did you vote for? I'm going to say Nate Pearson because I think if you get a healthy starting Nate Pearson for most of the year, given the Yankees' struggles in the middle of the season, I think the the Jays could have very easily been in a position to be the the it would would have been the fifth seed correct yep yeah and um yeah that that just would have i think possibly changed the trajectory of the the whole season indeed yeah yeah, it's funny how one guy makes you feel like there's there's you know definite wins to be had uh now we get into two categories which are inextricably tied together the most underwhelming player followed by the most whelming player um, the most <laughs> underwhelming player has to be for me. Now, I already did most disappointing player with Travis Shaw. The most underwhelming was Reese McGuire. And I'm going to say three numbers for Reese McGuire, and I'm going to leave it that. Uh, <laughs> 073, 073-146. Uh, you may hey. think I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, uh, I don't know, percentages of, of something, but but those are important numbers <laughs> to a hitter. and. None of them got off of the interstate for Mr. Reese McGuire. Uh, you, you listed the same, the number of numbers used was the same number of hits he had. <laughs> Three hits <laughs> if is hard add, to do. If you add all those um, up, that's his number of hits. Uh, yeah, yeah. 45 plate appearances to come up with, with a weighted on base, uh, with a 146 slugging. Yeah, I mean, it's, he was just terrible but you know he was the backup catcher so his, <laughs> yeah his wrc no, plus of negative 54 was you know <laughs> um so yeah he underwhelmed me he under underwhelmed me he underwater under yeah okay what was your underwhelming player then well my guy was not 154 percent worse than the average player <laughs> well travis shaw just for the same reasons that he was your disappointment earlier. Like I just, these categories are somewhat similar, right? Yeah. But I just expected more from him and he did not deliver. He just like, and just like his at bats were not good. He'd swing and miss at fastballs down the middle so much. It was just, I don't know. It was just like, he, 
he should be doing so much better and he wasn't nick um i think i I, i'd agree with with josh on shaw but one thing i will say about mcguire is you you read his slash line from this year just just to kind of i know i'm beating a dead horse here but his slash line from 2019 in again 30 games so much too small a sample size 299 346 526 is his slash line and that's why he underwhelmed me (laughs) yeah but but i mean when we there's no pronunciations here about what's going on forward it's about what we saw this (laughs) year i was whelmed i was not whelmed not one bit um okay <laughs> but you're so, right about this you know the small sample size is meaning nothing but it's just he, yeah. he was terrible in that small sample size oh yeah no he he was real bad so someone <laughs> someone must have whelmed us um josh who who was who did it for you this year who may not have showed up on our other categories for whatever reason so for the first part of the season i would say he overwhelmed me but he didn't finish that way, and he ended up being Anthony Bass. <laughs> he put up almost the exact same numbers he did last year. He is what he is. A useful middle relief pitcher who can pitch in the seventh or eighth if you need him to, but he's not going to be the guy you count on, you know, to be your overwhelming, you know, bust up a, a, a rally reliever. Or, you know, this guy just comes in with a clean inning and tries to get you out of it. That's fine. You need those guys, and that's what he was. Uh, who did you have, Nick? For, yeah, I'd for... agree with Josh on yeah. on Bass. Um, this isn't really this is, this is a little bit of a departure from the exact question, but I know during the season one thing we talked about a lot was the Jays bullpen getting worn down, and um, you know I'm curious. I didn't dig too deep into like Bass's pitch mix or like kind of little things he might have changed that would have indicated more success early on. But um, you know I'm kind of hopeful some of these Jays relievers that did kind of turn into pumpkins a little bit. Uh, down the stretch it might have been due to fatigue and they they have you know a little more to give over a full season if the bullpen is not asked to to pitch five innings every night he's a free agent though oh that's right yeah never mind so if he if he says the jays totally agree if not <laughs> pump him for ye. Yeah. <laughs> uh my most whelming player was actually bo bichette uh because bo bichette came off on a tear and then got hurt. And then when all the dust settled, he wasn't, I mean, as a shortstop, he looked like he, he he could absolutely hold down the position and play full time and everything else. But then you get to his, I mean, his slash line was 301, 328, 512. So that it's good. But he was, he was actually, his overall weighted on base was worse than Cavan Biggio's and Rowdy's and Lourdes's and was only slightly better than, I mean, the very small sample size of Jonathan Davis and, and Derek Fisher. Uh, so. Yeah, he he kind of he fell into the middle of the pack offensively, um, and his defensive metrics from Fangraphs were were I mean better than average for this team, but didn't tear up anything. It was just like okay, well, there's Bobuchet, that's great. Maybe next year is the year he does the step forward thing for the whole season, but he didn't do it this year, um, even though he looked like that out of the gate. So eh, it's good, it's not great. Final categories: hitter of the year. I think we have to I think we have to come to an agreement on the hitter of the year. So Nick, who is your hitter of the year? I think it's gotta be Teoscar Hernandez. All right. Josh, your feeling? <laughs> I mean I, the thing is it's so obvious that it has to be Oscar <laughs> Hernandez that there's not really anything else to say. It'd be one thing if he'd only played like thirty games, but he came back from his injury so fast. 
uh, he was the best hitter on the team, and it's not close. Yeah, I, sorry, I could, Kirk. I could stamp <laughs> my feet around about Kevin Biggio because he did play the extra nine games, uh, got all oh, those Lord extra play appearances. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could. Both of those guys had had things going for them, but uh, ultimately, the sixteen home runs from Teoscar Hernandez, you know, even even with his paltry walk rate, managed to overwhelm uh, all of the objections. So. Teoscar Hernandez is the artificial turf wars Blue Jays hitter of the year. Light golf clap. Um, and his walk rate actually wasn't that bad this year. It was better. It was like no, 6% just, or something. I'm just looking Almost at um, I'm looking at Biggio right beside him as the guy competing oh, with well. him, and obviously. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, it, looks, <laughs> it looks bad. Uh, the worst hitter. I don't even we should think just this... all say it at the same time. One, two, three. Reese McGuire. Sorry. So sorry. But it's, yeah, it just is. Again, 154% <laughs> worse than the average. Oh, yeah. There's a there's a metric on Fangraphs for those of you who don't visit. And you think that the metric stops at zero. But it turns out you can go to negative 100. And he's at negative 54. Um, he broke One of two Blue Jays who was in the negatives. Brandon Drury, you got saved this year. Oh yeah. my goodness. <laughs> I totally forgot Drury started the year on the team. I'm so feeling there was Drury. a category last year that we had, which was name the player you wouldn't believe was on the team. That would have been the pick. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh okay, pitcher of the year. Who gave us the most fantastical performance, Nick? Uh I I think we're all in agreement here too. Uh, it's it's got to be Ryu. Um, yeah, like we were saying earlier, the Jays haven't had a top of the rotation pitcher like that who can command the strike zone and pitch professionally uh, for a few years. Yeah, I'm I'm I mean, totally on board. I mean, he was every bit the ace that he was advertised to be in. You know, like in the in the clinching game against the Yankees when, you know, the Jason struggled to pitch against the Yankees. He threw seven shutout innings. I mean, like he's deserving of not first place Cy Young votes because Shane Bieber should win that unanimously. But I think that he should get some second place Cy Young votes because he was that good. Yep. I mean, they paid him all the monies. He pitched all the innings he possibly could. He did everything better than everybody else. I, I don't think you could put a reliever as much as they had Jace had a bunch of great relievers. I don't think you can put a reliever in this category when Ryu was so good um, to great as a starter. I don't even think there's a discussion. So uh, pitcher of the year, Hyunjin Ryu from artificial turf wars to you. Congratulations. The worst pitcher, the worst pitcher. Now this, when pitchers are really bad, they stop getting opportunities to pitch. So Nick, who was your worst pitcher? Well, uh, you guys made your notes, and I was going to agree with Josh, but Greg, your intro where you reminded <laughs> us that w- when pitchers pitchers are so bad they stop pitching is, is changed my mind. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with your your vote and go with Sam Gavilio. Okay, so I Nick or I on Team Gavilio, who I might remind you struck out five point nine percent and walked twenty nine point four percent of the people he faced in three innings. <laughs> After being given a high leverage spot in, was it game one or two? Game two. Game two. Good Lord, man. What happened to Sam Gavilio? We don't know, but it didn't happen for very long. But Scott, uh, that's Scott. Josh, ugh, 
What am I reading? Uh, Josh, you you did not vote for Sam? Okay. Three inning sample size. Gavilia gave up three runs. <laughs> Wilmer Font gave up six <laughs> for three <laughs> innings. <laughs> and he just kept giving them up. It just never stopped. He, he ended up with an ERA above nine. Gave up five runs in his last two outings to get there. And before he was finally DFA'd <laughs> after that Yankees series. To be clear, none of us picked the pitcher with the worst ERA on the Blue Jays, who was Trent Trent Thornton, Thornton, who got into three games, all of them starts, and only lasted five and two-thirds. It is amazing (laughs) that we thought this team, what we, we think of this team as a good pitching team that took a big step forward with the bullpen when these guys got innings at all this year. But there we go. Um... I'm yeah, willing. He was hurt in the second one when he gave up the six runs in two thirds of an innings. So he gets a bit of a pass. He got injured. Still, uh, the the numbers at the end of the season do make it look sad. He got injured um, and the outfield also couldn't catch the ball, which didn't help him most in that game. But yes. Oh, fun fact. Hector Perez, who did only throw one and two thirds, his home run per fly ball rate is 100%. <laughs> Get of the goofy numbers you get with small sample sizes. But anyway, my vote is Wilmer Font. But if you guys really want to give it to Sam Gavilio, I will never be upset about Sam Gavilio getting this award. <laughs> okay, it's Sam Gavilio then uh, for worst pitcher of the 2020 Blue Jays. Sam, uh, never claim your award. You don't want it. Nobody wants that on their shelf. Uh, now we come to the most important category, the MVP, where we try and put it all together to say who really, really, really offered the most value to this team over the course of the 60 epic games that the Blue Jays, well, 62 epic games that the Blue Jays played. Um, Josh, I will give you the first opportunity to make your case. Again, surprise no one going with the pitcher. Shocking. Almost like you're one. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, given what you just said, the Jays' rotation was in shambles at one point. Their number two starter was Tanner (laughs) Roark. Shoemaker was hurt. Pearson was hurt. Chase Anderson was not stretched out and terrible. Thornton was hurt. There's a reason they had to go and trade for Taiwan Walker, Robbie Ray, and Ross Stripling. But Hyunjin Ryu just kept motoring along, and he was just great. I mean, for the entire month of August, he gave up three earned runs. He gave up two or fewer earned runs in all but three of his starts, and one or fewer in all but four. I mean, he was just masterful all season and was sort of the metronome when they really really needed it um so i'm going to assume nick is on the fence here and i'm going to make the case on the offensive side for mvp teoscar hernandez and despite his outfield shenanigans even though he's going to be one of the best right fielders in the league if you just listen carefully um (laughs) he in 50 games managed to hit 16 home runs uh he he had a 289, 345, 79 slash line. He had by far the best, well, by far, by a decent amount. He had the best weighted runs created plus on the team. Uh, he didn't actually cost the team that much in defense. Minus 1.6 runs, according to, to Fangraphs. Had the best wins above replacement. Um, he didn't miss much time with injury, which, which seriously helps his case. He was the most you know, consistent, valuable hitter. He didn't really have a big slump all year long that, that I can recall. Uh, and we said it earlier in this podcast, he, the Blue Jays likely would not have made the playoffs without Teoscar Hernandez's um, contributions. I always think it's it's tough between 
uh, a starting pitcher and an everyday player. I just think Hernandez really had the kind of everyday player season that makes him MVP this year. So, Nick, you got to break the tie right. here, buddy. Yeah, I think I'm going to gonna go with Josh just for all the reasons he said about the state of the Jays rotation. I mean, we know how taxed the Blue Jays bullpen was this year. Imagine if they didn't have Ryu and they had <laughs> another pitcher who in the rotation who was inconsistent and not, you know, not giving them five plus innings, most starts. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going to go Ryu just because because of the, the thinness of the Jays rotation. I will access uh, acquiesce to your arguments, gentlemen. I understand where you're coming from. So I will step aside and allow Hyun Jin Ryu to claim the MVP crown for 2020. But but if Teo has another season like this in 2021, you're going to hear from me. Believe me. <laughs> the, last, the last thing we need to discuss is our marquee moment. And I'm going to play the do-over. Oops. I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But... What I really meant was... Yes. What what shenanigans did people uh, get into this year for uh, for us that we could make fun of them? So many things happened. But clearly, something has to stand above all the rest. So, Josh, I will start with you because I, I could see the note here. And yours is perhaps a little more serious than, than the others. And I don't want to end on a real serious note. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, it was way back at the beginning of the season when the Marlins got to got to choose whether or not they got to play when they had positive tests. Like it was a group text message or like a WhatsApp group. Do you guys want to play? Yeah, yeah, we should do it. Okay, let's play. And then they shut down baseball for the Jays and the Nationals and the Phillies for a week. <laughs> and then their whole team got infected to the point where they had to be like, you put a guy on waivers. He was a Marlin. Like that was, there was no chance he was going through. Yeah. So, I mean, like that was just insane that it wasn't the commissioner saying you have a test. You do not play. Well, there was up. there was no process in the playbook. There was no if there's an outbreak, this is what we do, which, yeah, completely. How do you write an outbreak book? How do you write a, a, a pandemic book that doesn't have what if something goes wrong in the book? It's just ridiculous. Well, as you said, like that should be the very yeah. first thing. If you have a positive <laughs> test, game is canceled. <laughs> yeah. And this Full is stop. this is how you isolate people. And this is for how long and everything it wasn't even in there. Uh, Nick, what did you think was was the thing that that needed most or that was in most need of a do-over uh, i'd say it, it happened before anybody threw a pitch and it was the negotiations between the players and the owners uh over the status of the season um and it, it's just like it could have they could have done it so much differently they could have got more baseball to be played which i think ultimately everyone would have loved um and yeah and to just, again, tie it in with what Josh said, it's crazy that it took that long and there was that much back and forth and they didn't figure out what to do if a bunch of players tested positive. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Uh, my do-over involves the Mets because they seem to be, other than Rob Manfred himself, um, the, the bottomless well of do-overs in baseball. Uh, I think I'm... <laughs> Everybody beats the Mets. Though uh, no, the Mets have a new <laughs> owner, so I feel like we might not get as much of this next year. Um, no, but Mets. it's happening. Yeah, it's happening. It's like the Knicks in basketball, and it's all the same. Um, so the Mets, I think the moment for me that really made it was Brody Van Wagenen 
player agent and general manager um which is such a mess thing to start off with got recorded complaining that the commissioner uh did not get uh baseball and didn't understand what he was doing and that got released by the extremely difficult investigative uh method of going and looking on their website where someone accidentally posted the conversation for all the public to see and hear and then immediately the damage control was for the ownership to blame Van Wagenen for not knowing who was saying what about it. everything. He's spelling his name wrong. Oh, yes. Yes. Didn't know how to spell Brody. You would think it was Van Wagenen they spelt wrong, but it was Brody, which they, one of them spelled <laughs> two different ways. Um, good thing they hired him because they don't know who he is. I Everything Mickey Mouse about the Mets needs a hard do-over. Uh, no. It should always be this way. <laughs> change. It should always be the Mets. Yeah, I mean, back in 2012, the Astros were the were the doormat of the league, and it was really funny. And now they're, you know, they would they won a World they Series, they cheated, they did everything. They weren't, a, they weren't a circus in terms of like the way they operated. They were just bad, and they had the most hilarious errors of all time. <laughs> yeah, the but, Mets are ruthlessly bad. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that is my my do over of the year is just the Mets. <laughs> Let's do it all over again next year, the Mets. <laughs> See what happens. Uh, so I turn to you, gentlemen. If you have a final thought going into the offseason, please hit me with it, Josh. Ah, I mean, the organization's trending up. They got that fifth draft pick that somehow got the second or best player in the draft, and he's ready soon. They've got good prospects. They've got this young core that's developing. They've got an ace. They've got a potential ace. It's time to add. It's time to push the chips in. And I think that the, the owner, the the GM, as we talked about last week, and the president of the team, that they believe that. And I don't know. It's just exciting. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the way this plays out, which has not always been the case. When does the CBA expire? Not till after this season. Next season. Yeah. That's a good thing. Uh, Nick. Um, Finalissimo. Yeah. Uh I'm I'm excited about the the future of the team too, and honestly, February cannot get here soon enough. Um, yeah, it was really nice to have baseball back, even if it was in a completely different and truncated way. Um, I'm gonna miss it. I really am gonna miss it. You know, with all the other terrible garbage going on, um, it, it truly is an escape for a couple hours. And so, to have a team that's exciting and young like the Jays to to get to watch and you know have have around was was really a, a treat for a couple of months so yeah i can't wait till till baseball's back i am i am in agreement that it is a team on the rise um to have a young team with potential is is pretty cool again um i do think that next year will be a full season but I don't think it's going to be a normal season again. So it'll be interesting to see the accommodations that end up getting made over the course of a hundred and whatever games end up getting played. Cause I don't think the circumstances around COVID that led us to get here are just going away because the winter passes. Um, so I think there's a lot more empty stadiums in our future, but maybe this is, this is an adjustment period that once the players get used to it, we're going to see, uh, you know, we're going to be able to see rosters that are normal sizes and, and, and things like that. So, a little more normalcy without total normalcy, I'll I'll still take it. 
So yeah, yeah. Uh, by the time that we see you again, we may have a uh, a World Series winner. So we might talk about that. But in the meantime, we hope all of you are well, and we would like to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening uh, once this season or all season long, whichever you do. Um, we appreciate uh, all of you out there. I always appreciate your questions and your input on the podcast. So this is the end of 2020 for us in the baseball sense, but we will be back in a couple of weeks as we begin to go into the old hot stove season and uh, try and figure out how the Blue Jays are going to shape up for 2021. You should sign off as me. You're not going to do it? I should. All right, and you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. The best part is I can see the smile on Josh's face. I can hear it. Yep. <laughs> All right, take it easy. Take it easy.